0: Welcome to Community of Resistance, the podcast where I speak with people who do the work of resisting in the empire to try to give folks who are interested in activism and advocacy the kinds of practical tools they need to pursue justice and peace. I'm Derek Penwell, and on today's show, I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Kate Miller, who's the ACLU of Kentucky's Advocacy Director and its primary lobbyist in the Kentucky General Assembly. Her emphasis is on advocacy and education related to immigrants' rights, uh, the First Amendment, uh, LGBT rights, justice reform, and reproductive rights, among other civil liberties. And I got to say, every time I've testified before legislative committees in the state capitol, Kate Miller has been there. At my side, literally, testifying for the ACLU of Kentucky, and she's so good at it. I wanted to talk to her about just what's involved in testifying. It's, it's certainly an area of activism and advocacy that has a direct impact on the kinds of laws that affect everyone's lives. But it is—it's one of those things that that does feel kind of inside baseball. And so I thought being able to talk to Kate about. the the workings of it would be a a really good intro for people who don't have any experience with it. So welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks
1: for having me.
0: Absolutely. So before we we get into all, all that kind of stuff, tell me just a little bit about how you got started doing this kind of work in advocacy for the ACLU did you did you do that before you came to the ACLU a uh, bit which I think was back in 2008 were you involved in in other areas or just how did this come about for you as a as a vocation
1: sure well it all started back in undergrad when someone told me that if you majored in psychology you did not have to take math 116 which was not true <laughs> And that was not the case. Which I have to say initially I was a studio art major, so I don't understand how I thought that any if if any major didn't require anyways, so when I was taking when I was taking my psychology courses, that's when I started doing work at a domestic violence shelter in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And when I graduated I had no idea what I was going to do and a professor said that's called social work like that's what you're doing it's social work and I was like oh okay so then I went to social work school at of um and while okay. I was at U of I interned at the ACLU at Kentucky after I finished school I worked as a labor union organizer for AFSME for about a year and then I started in more of a sort of organizer position at the ACLU a long time ago and then my Job title has kind of changed over the years, and that's how I got
0: to where I am now. I find it interesting how many people uh, didn't set out to be what they are. I mean, their life's work sort of evolved over time, and, you know, due to the vagaries of life, they mm-hmm. find themselves doing something that they never would have anticipated. Uh, you know, when they were in s- daydreaming in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me ask you, if if you are called on to testify before the legislature, before a legislative committee, what is the first thing you should do?
1: Well, that's a, uh, it depends. I think it depends. And also I'm glad that you said called upon because there are a couple of different ways to find yourself at that table where you've sat so many times you know, staring up at the committee members, sometimes folks are called on to testify by the staff of the committee themselves um, per the direction Mm -hmm. of either the chair of the committee or other legislators that serve on the committee or um, the bill sponsor for the bill that you're working on. What we often are doing, um, which provides a lot less opportunity for Um, preparation is responding to a a bad bill where there's been a hearing that's been called very quickly. Um, So I think the first thing that you want to do in those circumstances seems uh, pretty dull is figure out the time and place of the committee hearing and make sure that you are available because oftentimes this is during the workday and, of course, most of the time it's in Frankfurt, unless it's an interim committee where they might be meeting somewhere out in the state. So to just immediately figure out whether or not um, you're available and if it's accessible or if you're going to need help getting there, how you're going to get there. The second thing, which is the more important thing, is to figure out what your purpose is. What's the message that you're trying to convey? You're being asked to testify mm-hmm. because you're an expert. You're either an expert because of your um your personal life experiences or professional experiences or the sort of work that, that that you do or study. So I always think it's it's best to think about what, what it is you're trying to convey and then what's the best way to convey that message. If
0: you are called on by the ACLU to testify about um, an immigrant's right bill, mm-hmm. Uh, because you have some experience in that area if somebody's not quite sure how they might you know shape their testimony <laughs> will you work will you work with them to 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 come up with a kind oh, yeah. of absolutely set of talking points
1: yeah and we really try to provide the level of guidance and support that people want you know i was just at a training where someone said especially when you're working with impacted communities you first have to figure out if you're there to lead support or just get out of the way so there are definitely situations mm. where we just and i can think of one that was even recent uh, on this general assembly where we just get out of the way um but generally people, especially folks who've never testified before, want some help. So we are happy to provide talking points. I have also this session interviewed someone and then wrote their testimony for them. So that way oh. really like made it as easy and as painless for them as possible. And this was also an example of a bill that was getting called that we were testifying against, so you just don't have a lot of preparation time. So we will do right. any sort of support that that we will, that is wanted or is helpful. The thing I always ask people and try to impart onto people is, folks aren't going to remember a lot of what you're saying, so more important oftentimes than even talking points is just a, a story. What's a story that gets at at the message that you're wanting to share, uh, and mm-hmm. try to work with folks, on, with folks on what that story would look like, and then of course, like as you know, especially with folks who haven't testified before, and even with folks who have testified many, many times, we'll often meet in the Capitol beforehand, walk through our testimony together, make sure everyone feels comfortable, um, and answer any questions. That sort of thing. And then I also always try to stress at any point in the process, particularly if it's someone that's sharing a personal story, if you don't feel comfortable at any point, even if you're already sitting up at that table and you're like, nope, I don't want to do this, I don't like this, then, mm-hmm. then we, we never want to put people in a position where they feel like they have to do something or we don't ever want to exploit people. Um, which is very challenging when thinking about storytelling. Um, so we always try to stress, too, like at any point, if you're not comfortable with this, like let us know and we try to check in with people on that a lot,
0: too. Is there a, a kind of formula for balancing okay. or factual presentation with sort of the emotional aspects of t- storytelling? Is there, is there some way of balancing that or does it depend on the uh, the person who's testifying or this, yeah. the the bill itself or
1: I think it depends on a lot. One thing that we try to do there's a really great resource. I think it's a really great resource called Frameworks, um, and it's an online source. And they have a lot of messaging around specific issue areas, but they also have a lot of messaging and tools specifically around stories. And one of the things that they really stress is making sure that stories are thematic versus episodic, because if you have an episodic mm. story, it can build empathy and, um, like... It can build empathy for that particular person with that particular story. So what we try to do, but not necessarily make any differences in terms of attitudes about the issue area. So we try to stress um, this different approach of being thematic. So if someone's saying, you know, my family entered the country lawfully on a worker visa, what we might do is try to put in um, a little bit of context there to say, like, 40% of undocumented Americans, my family entered the country uh, while fully with paper. So we try to raise it up to cover a broader theme. Um, but other than that, I think um, I think, particularly if you have a personal story, we want to focus on that. When we have other people testifying, like um, for example, on the gang bill, we have Rebecca DiLoretto, who's a criminal defense lawyer, who's been practicing criminal defense since 1980, maybe longer. Mm. So, like, we don't really need anyone else at that table to have criminal defense expertise. You know what I mean? Like, she can come exactly. So we don't really... Um, it, it has a lot to do with, like you said, the person. And obviously, when you're there, you're coming from a faith perspective, and you have expertise in that area. And so we really want to use that opportunity to emphasize that message. So it depends a lot on the person. When
0: you give testimony, um, I, I've often wondered about this because the makeup of the committee is is, is oftentimes kind of opaque to you going in. Mm-hmm. You kind of know who would be supportive of your comments and, and who's probably going to be opposed to your comments. Is the purpose to try to persuade the opposing side to change? Or is it to bolster arguments for those legislators who already agree with you? Or is there some kind of movable middle that you're actually shooting for uh, that might, if they hear it framed the right way, change their minds?
1: I think most of the time when it comes to testimony, we are putting on a show and the show's audience are not the members of that committee. The real audience are the Kentuckians that are going to open the newspaper tomorrow or turn on the evening news and see whatever couple of talking points or messages we've made it into into that media? I think most of the time, I mean, it depends on what the bill is. And certainly you have some unexpected situations. Like, we've had really powerful testimony around abortion in the last two years that have elicited a couple of very unusual responses. Like, I don't know if you were there... Uh, in the Senate Committee on House Bill four fifty four with Senator Robin Webb. Yep. Yeah. So that was a very unusual response, as you know. Uh, and for your listeners, Senator Robin Webb is a Democrat from Eastern Kentucky who generally votes um, in favor of abortion restrictions, but she had a, a she was very touched by some of the discussion. I think. In relationship to some personal experiences that she's had with pregnancy, and so I do think that we do have those moments as a result of testimony where we're able to to like move someone a little bit. But for the most part, I don't think testimony is about. Now you can really bomb something in testimony. You could have a bill that would have sailed through that you could bomb really mess up. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. Just a snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Exactly.
1: Um, but most of the time, uh, any decent lobbyist is going to know the vote count before the vote happens. And not even any decent lobbyist. Anyone that's sort of paying attention. But certainly, if it's a bill that... And the legislators know it, too, because most of the time they're not going to put a bill up for a vote unless they know it's going to get through. Because you don't want to have your members vote on something that could hurt them in an election without the benefit of the bill even passing.
0: Right. You don't want to hang that around their necks Mm -hmm. when they run next time. Mm -hmm. This is a sort of practical nuts and bolts question, but is there a, a rule of thumb for how long testimony should be?
1: That's a good question. Um, As you know, we keep it pretty tight when it comes to abortion. Like, generally, we're thinking, if we're testifying in opposition to something, our whole side, we're thinking 15 minutes. So we've got five people, that's three minutes per person, something like that. However, Mm -hmm. um, when it came to, for example, a justice reform bill, that was a proactive bill where... You know, you've got the sponsor at the table. I think that went on much longer and included much more discussion when it was coming from like a pro So I think it just depends. But for the most part, you want to keep it pretty short and simple.
0: Sometimes, not, I I wouldn't think often, but there's sometimes that you get some hostile questioning or hostile responses. How do you counsel people to respond? I, I, because I'm thinking about that particular uh, session on House Bill 454 and the the chair of the committee, Senate chair of the committee on uh, Judiciary. the Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee, was just dropping all kinds of editorial bombs in the middle of people's testimony. How do, how do you counsel people to to sort of deal with that because I was getting kind of heated.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I might I sort of lean in a direction that I don't know is the right direction for everyone. Particularly for people who are directly impacted, who are not getting paid to be there. I think that they, uh, or anyone listening to this that shows up and testifies against the, like, I think they can, I, you know, I don't think I'm in a place to tell other people what to do. Um, I, right. I try to keep it pretty cool. Um, because all of these legends,
0: Yeah, you got to work with
1: these people. Yeah. Right. Like we want to work with these people also, we are talking about an issue that is a very personal issue. Like one thing we can agree on is it's something that people on both sides feel very, very passionately about. And I understand a little bit of Senator Westerfield's history with this issue. And so I can understand where his emotional responses were coming from. So I try to keep it pretty cool. Um, I, I I had a little more back and forth with another representative who – in a different committee, but it's someone that like, I have a strong relationship with and I know I can push back on him and he's not going to get his feelings hurt. So I think it just depends uh-huh. on your relationship with the legislator, how you react. But I've seen some, I've seen some hearings go off the walls and I heard in a hearing this year, there was someone testifying. Um, uh, what did he say? He said, if you get a, if there's a turd in the punch doesn't matter how good the punch is, there's, there's still a third in your punch. And I was like, pretty blown away by that. Um, they were not successful in the changes that they wanted made to the bill, but I think they weren't going to be anyway. So if you want to be a smart ass, I guess there are benefits to that too.
0: It, it certainly sort of helps to establish your brand.
1: Yeah, that's true. I guess that's, that's true. <laughs> what are some
0: Things that people should avoid doing if they're called upon to testify.
1: Um, again, it's really hard for me to say because a lot of this is a lot of folks testifying are testifying about very personal stories. So, yeah, you know, we really want to be respectful of people's stories. We oftentimes work with folks to edit what they're going to say beforehand to the extent that they're comfortable. So. Um, you know, we try to just keep it clean and, and, and crisp and, and have it written in such a way that everyone can understand because most stories are very complicated. So how do you figure out the best way to say it and edit it down so that people can understand what you're saying and so that you can build a relationship with your audience. So that's really the most important thing in terms of like what to avoid. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. What to avoid? Well, we don't curse usually. Um... Mm-hmm. really refrain which some advocacy groups that we work with would disagree i really refrain from specifically calling out legislators um right i think that um when people get defensive it's not i don't i don't know that i think it's helpful when people get defensive in public settings but that's another other groups have different perspectives and so we all have our own way to do it but um, you know just practicing a lot like don't go in there and not know what you're going to say that happened this session with someone where you're like yeah we're all lost not just the committee members no one in this room knows what you're saying we're on a long (laughs) tangent here so like make sure you know what you're going to say I always encourage people to practice what they're going to say until they're bored of saying it Um, I think that's the biggest thing is just come in with something that's already been prepared. Now lots of people are just like great public speakers and they don't need to do that. And those people know that, but like for most of us, including myself, right. especially cause that way, if you do want to get off onto a little tangent, you've got the freedom to do it. Or if you've got a question, you're more prepared for
0: it. It takes, I mean, and I do public speaking for a living right. and, and I almost always write down word for word, Regardless of the situation, what I'm going to say, just partly because uh, I don't want to leave it up to chance that the very point I came to make eludes me because I got sort of distracted by something else that just popped into my head at the wrong time. Um, So that's I think that's really, really good advice. I have a question about in the times that I've worked with the ACLU, the ACLU has coordinated with other organizations. To bring people to the table to testify. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty common or I mean, does, does the ACLU generally take the lead in those situations or do they offer support or is it just a matter of what the, uh, the circumstances require?
1: Um, most of the time, on most issues, the truth is there are a lot of Kentuckians that know a lot more about that issue than I do. So most of the time, I try to find other folks who are able and willing to testify on some of our more important issues or issues where we are maybe going to be our legal program is closely watching something. We might want to be a little bit more upfront in terms of making sure we get certain statements on the record. Certainly, that's the case with all the abortion bills. Mm-hmm. Um So most of the time I try to find other people that can testify, but a lot of times, especially if it's on the fly and we just want to make sure that we've got something on the record, then I'm going to be the one to testify. But on other, like there was a bill this year on body cameras where we had worked really closely on changing a lot of the language in the bill, and we really liked a lot of those components. But there were a few things that we didn't like, and so it was a very specific part of the bill and we just needed to sort of get it out there that we had these very specific concerns. So in that instance, it made more sense for me to just go to the table, give my five minutes, like, see if there's any questions, and get out of there. A different example would be Mm -hmm. the gang bill, which a lot of Kentuckians out there have a lot more experience on issues related to gangs or issues related to the over-incarceration of black and brown Kentuckians. So it made more sense for me... To work really closely to get folks lined up to testify, make sure folks felt comfortable, help folks draft testimony, practice testimony beforehand, and then just sit in the audience and watch it happen. So no one would have ever known that we necessarily had anything to do with that, but ultimately I think it was way more powerful testimony than, for example, what I'm going to offer on the body camera bill.
0: Do you have any sort of one thing that people should bear in mind when they walk in that room? What is the thing that should be foremost in their
1: minds? Um, like we like said earlier, what's the if you're up there to convince a legislator and you're showing up the day of a hearing, like you're probably not going to convince that legislator. You're not going to move a lot of hearts and minds in on that committee when you're sitting in front of them the day that a bill's getting heard. So I don't think that's the purpose. The purpose is to educate Kentuckians on an important issue. And so the most important thing is what's your message. If you've got only a couple minutes What is the thing that you want Kentuckians to hear? And once you've got that nailed down, just practice, 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 practice. So you feel really comfortable saying it. And not only are you going to say it when you're sitting at that table, but hopefully you're going to be saying it into a, a television camera in the hallway out side of the committee hearing hopefully you're going to be talking to a journalist who's writing that message down and taking your photo hopefully you're able to convey that message to other kentuckians
0: i think that's a really good way of helping people to think about this that as you say this is uh, not entirely for the consumption of the committee gathered there but but that you're really communicating more broadly to uh, people in the state and to think about it in terms of not just trying to pull one or two legislators over to another side, but but in, in trying to help frame the debate in ways that you think are most helpful for the position that you hold. Exactly. Does that, oh, does yeah, that, 100%. Absolutely. Well, Kate, this has been... It's, it's been really oh, helpful. Um, I think that there, that that people will hear this and and it will give them some, as we said, some sense about what can otherwise be a kind of mysterious yeah, thing so
1: confusing. Uh, that
0: people don't know. Yeah, you've given them some some I think some really good things to think about and 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 ways to approach this. So I want to thank you again for for taking the time to talk to me. And I'm going to put in the show notes some of the, the links to the ACLU of Kentucky's website and to some of the materials that you send me, so that people can sort of follow up on this and and make use of these resources. Awesome! That
1: sounds great. Anything else that we can do to be a resource, folks can reach out, and we can include my contact information, so folks can call or email me, and hopefully we can be a resource. Or if people have feedback on things that they think maybe should be understood a little differently or have a different approach. I'd love to hear that too.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank my guest today, Kate Miller, advocacy director for the ACLU of Kentucky. And I want to thank you for tuning in to community of resistance until next time.